It's a privilege to be able to stand before you and bring God's Word and let us grow in the knowledge of what God has for us. We are in a series from the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to it. If you'd like to use one of the Bibles in the chair rack in front of you, you can do that. Every Bible has a table of contents. It's sometimes not easy to find that. That's why I use an electronic Bible up here because all I have to do is point and touch. And I don't have to have them memorized so much anymore. So we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and what's the point? This morning it's all about pleasure. What's the point of pleasure? And how many of us do not want to have any pleasure whatsoever the rest of our lives? Ken Ramey does not want to have any pleasure. Let's stay away from Ken. He'll bring us down. But uh, for the rest of us, we all want to have pleasure. Just kidding. They know. I'm just kidding. He, he and I, we kid. So I don't want... Don't put, put away the note. I, we're friends. Um, <laughs> But it's good to be with you as we talk about what's the point of pleasure. Solomon wrote this 2,900 years ago, roughly 900 B.C. And so it's amazing the things that were written so long ago in a different culture, a different society, a different language, a different ethnic group. And yet there is this timeless truth that he gives to us. And so we find it in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'm going to read the chapter for you. I'm going to read just the first couple of verses and then pick it up from there. He begins with this when he says in chapter 2, verse 1, I said to myself, Solomon, he, he liked to talk to himself. And so it's not weird. That's just the way he did it. So I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? So Solomon begins this rather cynical, sort of a negative approach to pleasure. He wants to test his pleasure. And one of the things we learn from this passage then right from the get-go is that some people, they will experiment in risky ways to find the most pleasurable things they can in life. And that's what Solomon is doing here. As you see again in the first verse here, chapter 2, he says this, I said to myself, come now, as you can see on the screen, I want to highlight one word, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself. Behold, it too was futility. And he talks about this word pleasure here. Now, I want to emphasize what he means by pleasure. The Hebrew word is written in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew word for pleasure means to have a sense of joy or gladness in heart and mind. We don't always understand what exactly all that means. And so I want to help drive home. It's, it's key for us to understand the definition of pleasure. Sometimes we think about pleasure, it goes to like sensual, sensual things that are maybe immoral or sinful. And yet I want us to show, I want to, I want to help make the point. I want to help you remember the point of what pleasure is. And so I'm going to take you to our brand new little puppy, <laughs> Mackenzie. Can we just spend the rest of the hour... That's Mackenzie. She's like 15 weeks old, and I've got marks on my hands from her teeth. They're like needles. It's just very frustrating at times. It's, it's like having a baby again, and I thought, man, but we're too old to have babies. And in the middle of the night, I got up to take her outside. Anyways, uh, but she is a, a whole lot of pleasure. Last time I spoke to you, I spoke about our other dog, Izzy. This is Mackenzie. Sometimes we call her Izzy. We get it confused. And so she has a little bit of a personality problem now. 
because she thinks we don't really love her. We love Izzy instead. Izzy we had to put down because Izzy had a liver, liver tumor. So we just got so lonely, just Joy and me, my goodness. And so we had to get a new puppy. So we found, we found Mackenzie. And I want to show you, when I come home at night, Mackenzie is a ball of pleasure. And so here's what happens when I walk in the door, my daughter actually walked in the door as well, and Mackenzie hears that door shut, and she goes running. She is just so happy. That is what you call pleasure. Just simply being there brings great pleasure to, to Mackenzie. What did I call her, Izzy again? Mackenzie, and uh, she just can't, she can't get over it. And it's great pleasure to us when you see that. And so isn't that the cutest thing ever? Yeah, there we go. So, all right, enough of that. But I just want to help you remember pleasure. Pleasure is not a negative necessarily. It's something enjoyable. It's joy. It's gladness of heart. That's what the Hebrew word means. So God is not opposed to pleasure. I have an outline that's available for you. It's in the bulletin. And in that outline, I actually define some of these things. And I put a list of the things that the Bible says you may have pleasure in doing these things. These are not prohibitions. God is not a killjoy. God doesn't look at his children and the people of the world and say, I want to make you as miserable as I possibly can. Sometimes growing up in the church, when I grew up, all the legalism that is there, it's almost like you weren't allowed to be happy or smile. And I remember I had a uh, fellow in our church in previous church where he was smiling during the communion service and a woman looked over at him and scolded him for having a smile on his face during communion because it's a very morbid time that we're, you know, honoring the death of Christ. And it's just like, come on, come on. So God has, has a sense that he wants us to have pleasure. Here's the list of things. Wine. Uh, I'm not a wine drinker. We don't drink alcohol in our home. It always... Frankly, it's not necessarily a theological or a biblical thing. It's just I don't like it. I don't know. How do you like that stuff? It's just what, you know, if I have cockroaches, you know, I pour. But you get the idea. Now, okay, you can write me a note. You're a big, you, okay. And then there's, uh, there's perfume. I don't like perfume. But uh, I love wise sons and kind words, meeting the loved one, God's law. These scriptures all, if you want to enjoy life, God says, go for it. These are the things that I have given to you in life. So he's not a killjoy. But the problem is this. The problem is that we sometimes experiment in all the wrong places. We, we find pleasure in all the wrong places. And that's what then 3 through 10 is all about. So most of this passage is all about negative stuff. Just don't do this, don't do that. So I want to read it. I want to keep in mind and make a couple of comments as I read through it. So Solomon begins to list all the things that he tried to find pleasure in. And they just didn't work for him. So let me read verse 3. I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. So he gets drunk. He drinks as much as he can that somehow maybe he will feel better. And there are people who'd use it in improper ways to sort of stimulate themselves. And uh, guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven uh, the few years of their lives. And then this is, this is where he adds to the attempt to test in pleasure. These are the things that he pursues. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. 
I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Now notice how one thing leads to the need for something else. You see this accumulative thing. So he enlarged his works. He builds a house. You build a house, then you've got to have more vineyards. You've got to have more gardens and parks because you have to provide food and clothing and uh, all kinds of needs that the people that are living in these larger places have. And you need fruit trees. So you have lots of fruit trees. So when you have lots of fruit trees, what do fruit trees require? They require water. So I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate the forest of growing trees. Well, who's going to take care of all the water and the fruit trees and the plants and the gardens and the vineyards? I've got to hire more people. And so he says, I, I bought... I bought, I purchased male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks. So I've got all these slaves. I've got all these men and women and children that are here to take care of the pond, that takes care of the fruit trees, that takes care of the vineyards and all the other gardens and the parks that are there. And so I've got all those things, but I've got to feed them. So I've got to add more animals to my livestock. And so he says, so I also possess flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. And so how do I take care of all those things? It costs me money. So I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. And I provided for myself male and female singers. So it's Saturday night. Who's going to entertain? So I bring in these male and female singers that come in and entertain and the pleasures of men. And then, oh, by the way, many concubines. Yeah. So let's have a big orgy over here. And let's just gather together all the people and have all kinds of immoral behavior. And so Solomon says, man, I tried it everything. I tried everything. And one thing leads to the next. You know, when we bought little Mackenzie, I thought we're buying the, okay, we got the dog. We'll probably have to get some food. What I hadn't calculated in buying the, the little puppy is that and then you had to buy one of these little fenced-in little, like a, like a big crib that you put a baby in. And they had to buy a new bed. Then we had to buy a crate for her to sleep in at night. And then we had to buy new water dishes because Izzy's water dishes weren't good enough. We needed new water dishes for little Mackenzie. And and then we have all these toys that we had to buy, these little cushiony toys and and chewy sticks. And we have all these expensive chewy sticks and and soft uh, cushy, you know, toys for her to chew on. And what does she play with most? An old water bottle uh, that we're going to throw away. That's what she loves. You would throw it and she'll just chase after that all the time. And we've got all these other toys that she, you know. Oh, don't get me going. <laughs> but you get the idea that sometimes we accumulate all these things. And so here are the things that Solomon would want us as a takeaway from this. As he accumulated all these things, he's finding that pleasure in these areas does not satisfy These are the areas that I would list from that passage. For example, pleasure from sensual indulgences and frivolous activities. He explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. And there are people that think that pleasure comes through excessive alcohol use and drugs and that that's what's going to drive me. If I just have that good little hit on something and then I can really enjoy life. 1 Kings 11 I put on there because that's where it talks about the fact that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And you think it's hard with one wife, right? 700 wives. Can you imagine? It's just unbelievable. That's Solomon. Pleasure from sensual indulgences. Pleasure that comes out of possessions that we acquire. 
He says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I also collected for myself silver and gold. He tried all these things, and I include these other passages. If you'd like to look and see, this is what God says about pleasure that comes from things that we acquire. It's not wrong to have lots. It's wrong to use them in the wrong way for the wrong purpose. And these passages of uh, Proverbs and First Timothy and amongst many others help us with that. Henry Nouwen said in his book, Gracias, Wealth takes away the sharp edges of our moral sensitivities and allows a comfortable confusion about sin and virtue. Solomon discovered that. Solomon could have written what Henry Nouwen said. And all the things that he possessed and acquired brought him down. In fact, it says in 1 Kings 11, when Solomon became old, all these women that he acquired from all the other countries around from other idolatrous practices, these women caused Solomon to walk away from Jehovah God. And that's the risk that you take. And that's the risk he took. And he fell. And his latter years were the worst years of his life, spiritually speaking, even though he had more things than most of us could ever imagine having in our lives. And then there is pleasure that some people want to find from power and prestige over others. Again, in verses 9 and 10, he said, in verse 9 it says, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. I was great and I was better than anybody else. There was no one more powerful, more prestigious than I was. I thought that is where I would find the greatest measure of pleasure in my life, and it didn't work. And even the people, you know, I'm, as a pastor, I've been pastoring for over 40 years, and I know it looks it. Uh, and I remember our very first church that Joe and I went to, and it was really a, a challenging little church. We had like 70 people. And you could always tell who was there by just looking at the cars in the parking lot. Because, oh, that's, that's their car. Oh, that's their car. And so you have that seven. And I remember in that church there in Corona and uh, preaching to that little flock of 70 people, and I'd often think to myself, God, someday I'd like to have a more influential, more powerful, more prestigious opportunity to preach to more people. And now here I am today, and you're politely listening to me. But I think back to those days, and I think... I was alike, like, a lot like Solomon, that, Lord, 70 people is, is insignificant. I want significance. And bigger, more powerful, more prestigious brings significance. And I'm here to tell, just like Solomon did, that there's not more significance, there's not more pleasure in the size of the congregation or the size of the church. I remember when I was in seminary many years ago, and they would bring in pastors, and here's how they would introduce them in our little chapel services that we would have. I'd like to introduce you to this man. He started out with 10 people in his living room in a Bible study, and now he has a church of 5,000 people. He's a pastor of one of the most significant ministries in our country. And so it drilled into my mind. Significance comes through greatness of size, proportion, prestige, in power. And Solomon is here to rebuke me and to any of us who think that the more power I have, the more prestige I have, the more pleasure there will be in life. And Solomon said, I've tried that. It didn't work. One of the great illustrations of today is, you know, I'm sure you all know Flea here, right? Good old Flea. This guy's insightful. I like Flea because he looks a lot like my head, and uh, I'm okay with that. And the amazing thing, he's got this snake tattoo over here. 
It's just like mine. What's, what are the odds of that? Anyways, here's flea. I, I don't have a snake. I don't have. But the red hot chili peppers. So I came across this quote this last week. This is flea. They're one of their uh, 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 bass players. This is what he said. It's strange. We won a Grammy. All of a sudden, we're big stars. We finally had a hit record after 10 years of touring and working like crazy. And I'm more miserable now than I've ever been in my life. It's kind of a lesson that those material things that you chase after, they really mean nothing. But, you know, even as I read Flea and I think about how wealthy he must be, don't you have this sense like, well, God, could I just try? Could you just give me, give me a whole lot? I'd like to just really try it. Let me, let me try it for a while. Well, let me take you from the greatness of a Grammy award-winning musician to the other extreme of a population, Mother Teresa, the most godly, poorest woman that has ever lived, perhaps. She was asked these questions. Is materialism in the West an equally serious problem? And Mother Teresa says this, I don't know. I have so many things to think about. Take our congregation. We have very little. So we have nothing to be preoccupied with. The more you have, the more you are occupied, the less you give. But the less you have, the more free you are. Poverty for us is a freedom. It's not a mortification, a penance. It's a joyful freedom. There's no television here. No this, no that. This is the only fan in the whole house. It doesn't matter how hot it is. And it's for the guests. But we're perfectly happy. So how do you find rich people then? Mother Teresa says, I find the rich much poorer. Sometimes they are more lonely inside. They're never satisfied. They always need something more, like Solomon adding, 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 adding in chapter 2. I don't say all of them are like that, and they aren't. And there are many of you who are not like that. I admit that. Everybody is not the same. I find that poverty hard to remove. The hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. So are there people you would say as an illusion to think of the poor as joyous that they must be given housing, raised up? Mother Teresa responds, the material is not the only thing that gives joy. Sometimes greater than that, the deep sense of peace in the heart. They are content. That is the great difference between the rich and the poor. And it's for us to begin to grasp as she takes us to where Solomon wants us to go, to understand there are things that have value in this world, and many of us enjoy those things. But they are not the things that God says brings the greatest pleasure. So God concludes in this way, life becomes worthless when you find pleasure in all the wrong places. This is what the last verse of the chapter says. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity. And another synonym for vanity that sometimes I think I understand better is the word worthless. Vanity means worthless. Behold, all was worthless in striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So Solomon makes this very negative conclusion that I've experimented in all the ways that mankind can experiment in finding pleasure. And I'm here to tell you, he says, as an old man, as I look back and write Ecclesiastes, it just doesn't work very well. So therefore, we conclude this. Turn to God's truth and find pleasure and 
avoid a worthless life. It's so simple that God has laid out for us these things. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 is a, is a verse probably everybody who preaches on Ecclesiastes has to end on because those are the verses, that's the verse that actually takes us to a positive realm. He says this, the conclusion is when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Fear God, keep his commandments. This applies to every person, poor, rich, powerless, powerful, prestigious or not prestigious at all. This is what counts. Martin Luther King's holiday is tomorrow. We honor a man that fought for a lot of great things that our country has needed and still needs to this day. And I still appreciate his words when he tells us to evaluate people, not based on the color of their skin, but the content of the character. And I wish that those in leadership in Washington would think about that all the more because that's what we need. But I love this quote of Martin Luther King. He says, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end of life. The end of life is not to be happy. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. It's like he read Ecclesiastes. When he helps us to understand that what are those chief ends of life? To find pleasure? To find happiness? No, it's to do the God's will. And you understand God's will through his word. Let me give you two examples from scripture. Two examples of how God wants us to find pleasure. It's in the same book of Ecclesiastes. We'll get to it in chapter 9. Solomon here writes, Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the warriors. Neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to the men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. It is again, this is the false illusion that we find pleasure in those who are swift, those who are warriors, those who are powerful, those who have wisdom, those who are smarter than the rest of us, those who have wealth. He says, I've tried all those things. Those things don't work. Companion verse to that, and I love cross-references because the best interpretation of the Bible is another verse in the Bible, and I love this passage of Jeremiah 9, where Jeremiah is writing to the Jewish people who have been taken captive in about 500 B.C., and they have destroyed everything in their home in Jerusalem, and now they are in the land of Babylon. They're in the land that we take today call Iraq. They have been ravished by all the terrible things, these warriors of the Babylonians, about 500 or so B.C. So Jeremiah writes to them, and he writes to us, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him boast of this. And look at those three areas. The three areas that I know in my life I will strive for because I think that's what brings pleasure, that's what brings significance. Let not the wise man boast of it. Let not the man who has the most degrees, the best education, the best uh, knowledge of all things, who seems to be the smartest man in the room. Let not that man boast about those things. It's not wrong to have those things, but don't let that be the driving purpose that gives life significance to you. Don't let that happen. I still remember when I was in kindergarten and my good friend Tim Eaton, Tim Eaton and our kindergarten class together. We've known each other since kindergarten. I remember Tim Eaton... One of the assignments was learning to tie your shoe. Learning to tie your shoe. And one day, Tim Eaton learned how to tie his shoe. And I went home that day, and it took me days, if not weeks, 
to learn how to tie my shoe. And I can't tell you, I, I can still, it's crazy what you remember, right? I can still remember in kindergarten feeling small and diminished because I'm not as smart as Tim Eaton. And those things eat away when you think significance comes out of how smart one is. God has gifted everybody differently. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Don't boast over how powerful you are, the position that you have, the number of people that work for you, the the power of, of influence that you have in this world today. Now, that's a good thing, and you use it in the right ways, but don't let significance come through the power that God may have gifted you with. You use it in an honorable way, not as a boasting, bragging rights. And then let not the rich man boast of his riches. God may have blessed you with abundance of riches that you never as a child thought you would have this day. And God says, that's a wonderful thing. It's a gift that I give to you. I entrust it to you. But if you ever let it become the point of significance in your life and misuse that, not according to the design that I have for those things, then you are way off and you will lose like Solomon lost. Don't let these three areas of power, of riches, and smarts become the driving influence that gives significance to us. Rather, he says, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. That's what Solomon said. Get into the God's Word, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight. This is another Hebrew word, this delight for pleasure. For I find pleasure in these things. And the challenge for you and me is to find pleasure in what God finds pleasure in. Of knowing Him, of trying to understand Him, That means I'm a student of God's Word where I read and gain insights and I learn about Him and that I know that His values of loving kindness, justice, and righteousness are those things that delight Him, not my money, not my power, not my position, not my prestige, not the things of this world that a lot of people strive for. God says, I get no delight in those things but I do get delight in those of my children that no matter how well you are, no matter how broken your body may be, no matter how hard your life may be, but that your life is still pursuing those things that I find delight in. And that's understanding, knowing me, and having my loving kindness and justice and righteousness in you. God says, if you delight in those, I delight in you. Because that's what I delight in. Now let me give you a closing story illustration. This last week I saw a little video of a young man who lives here in L.A. He's an actor, and he had some uh, shots and opportunities on TV shows, and he actually achieved a fair level of of, uh, acclamation and fame and money as a result of being on those TV shows. And then he saw it all begin to implode because he started doing drugs, and he got arrested. He was thrown in jail. And all the things that he had valued in life, and he talked about it, power and position, prestige, money, all that begins to go away, and he lands himself in jail. So I've taken a little three-minute clip out of this longer story as he begins to talk in this first part of this about his time in a jail cell.
and then follows it up with what God taught him that Solomon is teaching us. So take a look as we turn to that. I was trying to fill this this hole, this, this vacuum, and uh, I just found relief in drugs. Whoever thinks they would be in jail, I certainly didn't. But like, there I am, I'm in jail, and I'm like shackled to other people on the floor. And I remember thinking, what is that? What is that, that prayer? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like I remember thinking that. And that's all I could remember. I could remember. I was like, yea, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And I couldn't remember the rest of it. But just repeating that over and over helped the time pass and gave me a sense of just a little bit more ease. And then they finally called my number. And I knew I was going to leave this sort of holding cell and go up and have my own cell. I got up to my cell. And I sat down. And I looked up on the wall, and from top to bottom, that was Psalm 23. In, in really big letters. And um, I felt like this hand go over me, and I slept like I hadn't slept in years. That's when I knew I was like, okay, I hear you. And so there was a girl on Facebook I never met, and she had Christian. I contacted her. I said, hey, you're a Christian, right? Said, yeah. I said, will you take me to church? And she took me to her church. All of a sudden, when I get in there, there's this pastor speaking. And he said, did you ever, have you ever been told your whole life that you were special or you were talented? And these gifts took you places because you, 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 you use these gifts to serve yourself. And they took you places that you never imagined. And I was like, that's my experience. And then he said, but it also took you to dark places, low places, where you, where you never thought you'd go. And I just started bawling. Because that was my experience. Red carpet, the movies, the money. The, you know, the, the validation, like all of it, to like downtown L.A., needles, bo homeless box. So I just kept going, being in community, uh, being in, in, at, at worship, being surrounded by the Christians. And then I started to understand about Jesus until I got to love Jesus and understand and, and share the gospel and really have a relationship with Christ. What I understand about being safe is knowing that there's this peace that I can't understand. No matter how much money is in my account or not, whether I'm working as an actor or not, I never felt that peace ever, 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 ever. It was always contingent and conditional on having money, having sex, or having some power. God's still in the business of calling out people. Well, it's a prison cell with Psalm 23 on the wall. God has his truth. He wants us to go to his truth. He wants us to go to his son, Jesus Christ, and find the redemption that pulls us out of sin and then pulls us out of the values that drags us down. Solomon has given us chapter 2 so that we can understand that those things tear us apart, 
and that he's given us the scriptures of God's word of those things that lift us up. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and trusted in him as your personal Savior, that's the beginning point. To say, God, I've tried a lot of things in this world and I'm just still not quite satisfied. But Christ came to give us peace that surpasses all understanding, to give us a new life from death to life, Titus says, that changes us forever. If you'd like to know that Christ that can change your life, as it changed Sean's life, as it changed many others sitting around you's lives, we'd love to introduce you to that. After our service, we'll have people that would love to pray with you and encourage you on that journey. So let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you that you have given to us this powerful word of Ecclesiastes. And that, Lord, I'm always amazed as to how relevant your scriptures are to many of the challenges that I face and that many of us face on a daily basis. God, that we strive after sometimes the wrong things that only have a destructive element to them because they're misplaced values and pleasures that come from ways that you have warned us about. But yet, like Solomon, we think we still have to test the boundaries of those pleasurable things that are wrong. Help us, Father, to learn well that you're a God who desires to know us and for us to know you. As you came to Sean and met him in a prison cell, Father, for those that need that same meeting, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them as well. And that we who love you and know you would keep our priorities according to your word and that we would pursue the pleasure that delights you most of your loving kindness, your justice, and your righteousness. May those be the values that people around us see within us as we delight in you. So thank you, Father, as I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.